normal little sing-along shit but i don't think that's gonna go too well with a song like that yeah i mean that was conte partido partiro my bad by andrea bocelli and that's a man you can tell by the the voice of the song obviously that's a man singing but his name is like the american andrea andrea bocelli italian singer 
you might recognize that from fucking Step Brothers <laughs> with Will Ferrell. Uh, but nah, I've been watching a lot of Sopranos lately. Shout out to my cousin. Got the HBO log it out. Eh? Fucking back in the back in there with HBO B. So I've been watching Sopranos, running that shit back. All the old Italian music. You know what I mean, but yeah, man. Welcome back, episode forty-eight. Let me get this mic right quick. Scoot this shit a little closer. You know what I mean? You can hear the texture of my voice. You understand? Listen to the raspy. So raspy. <laughs> Shouts to Jada Kiss. <laughs> but yeah, man. Welcome back. Episode 48 of the motherfucking K podcast. How you guys doing out there? Appreciate you being here with me, you understand what I'm saying? Another day, another dollar. Another day under the belt. Another day ended in why. <laughs> but yeah, man, as always, before we get started, just to go ahead and reiterate. Yeah, you know I mean, hit the motherfucking email, the real podcast at gmail.com. I'm Pretty sure, I'm almost positive, it's in all the descriptions of the podcast episodes too. So if you got it on the fast speed and you maybe missed the email, just go ahead and click on that details, baby. It's right there waiting for you, man. I do it for you. Um, and yeah, also, like I said last time, made an IG page for the show if you want to follow us on there. I don't know, I might do like a Twitter and some other stuff, but we'll see. I guess I'll probably do a Twitter at some point. I don't know about like Snapchat and any of that other shit, but we gonna see, man. Obviously, I'll keep you abreast of that, keep you in the loop, you know what I mean? But what do we got here today, man? I know we got some serious shit, so as always, we're gonna save that for the latter part of the episode, just because, you know what I'm saying, just trying to keep it rolling here, you know? So for actually, first things first, man. While I, you know, what I'm saying, one thing I did want to talk about. I don't know if we mentioned it on here or not. We got a bunch of music shit that we'll get to in a second, but just real quick with this shit. I don't know if you guys saw that they had passed a law. I believe the federal government finally passed a law to outlaw all flavored tobacco products because they were quote unquote marketing to kids. With these like cherry flavored blunts and dip spit, or not dip spit, but dipped tobacco and all that shit. Everything's like flavored to be like candy and stuff, so it's targeting a younger crowd and whatnot. Which I mean, to be honest, like, I don't disagree with that, you know what I mean? I feel like if people use tobacco and they really want to use it, they don't give a fuck if it's flavored or not. It could, I mean, I'm not going to say it could taste like shit, but... Tobacco flavor is not the best flavor, but like real heavy, dedicated cigarette smokers and shit like that, like they're going to, you know what I mean? They're getting that tobacco in regardless. So I definitely don't disagree. It'll probably deter younger, like 18-year-olds and stuff. Or I guess you got to be 21 to buy it now. Shit. That's how old I am. But you know what I mean? Like the younger kids, it'll probably save them from buying as much of it. But at the same time, I was laughing to myself because... The other day, I'm sitting there watching TV or whatever, and this commercial comes on for one of these many alcoholic seltzers that everyone's selling now. 
you know, it started with like the White Claws. Now fucking Bud Light's got their own. You know, everyone's got their own fucking shit going on. And I just thought it was hilarious because it's it's almost the exact opposite. You know what I mean? Like alcohol being the legal drug. I mean, tobacco's legal, but just the fact that they're making alcohol more and more palatable. You know what I mean? Kind of almost targeting the younger crowd, I feel like. You know, like I, I've said on here before, I don't drink much anymore these days. So those seltzers, dude, like it'll take one or two of those probably two, you know what I mean? Take two solid seltzers to get me like feeling pretty good, you know what I'm saying? So I can only imagine a little fucking 16, 17-year-old or whatever, you drink one of those things, you know, and you're fucking good to go. But I just thought it was interesting, you know, the the polar opposite way that they're kind of treating those two industries, even though in the FDA's and if uh what is it? Food and Drug Administration, Food, Drugs and Alcohol. What is it? Yeah, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they oversee both tobacco and alcohol. But I just thought it was interesting how they treat those so differently. You know what I mean? And just how America as a nation treats alcohol like it's nothing. It's no big deal, even though people die from alcohol all the time. Whether it's, you know, directly from alcohol abuse, you know, something physically happens to their body or repercussions of alcohol abuse, you know what I mean? Fucking car wrecks, you know, violence, guns, whatever, whatever the case is. But I don't know, man. I saw it was interesting, you know what I'm saying? Kind of do your own research, do what you will. You know what I mean? They say try everything once, but also take that with a grain of salt, yeah, I mean. I feel like if you smoke or drink, you can try that once, but there's some shit out there you probably should not even try once, you know what I'm saying? But that's besides the point, yeah. You know I mean, but yeah, man. So that was really all I had on that. <laughs> but let's get into fucking music, man. First things first, we had the first rematch of Versus, Swizz and Timbaland, the two originators and creators of of Versus. They did the first one last year around this time, so I think it was at the annual mark they did the first rematch. And they did it live together in Club Live in Miami, which was kind of dope, rather than doing it, uh, you know, via Skype or Zoom or whatever. So that was pretty dope, man. Uh, we checked that out. I don't know. It's hard to call only because records that Swizz makes, the kind of aggressive street hip-hop records, I personally think fare better in the versus battles. They have more energy. There's just more like aggression behind it. So it's kind of just, I don't know. It's just, it seems to work better in my opinion. But at the same time, a lot of people were arguing, you know, on Twitter timeline and shit like that, that Timbaland won because he had more hits, more world, worldwide recognized hits. You know what I mean? He had songs with like Nelly Furtado, Justin Timberlake and shit. Whereas for the most part, Swizz's songs are all with, you know, like hardcore rappers, you know what I mean? DMX, The Locks, and shit like that. So I think it was kind of more just up to your personal opinion who won. It was still a good show regardless, but, you know, regardless of which side you were rooting for or whatnot. But, um, yeah, man, it was good. It was a good, uh, good show, good performance, especially now that 
uh, live music isn't as prevalent as it once was. It does seem like that's slowly starting to come back. I know they've been doing local shows. I actually popped out to a show last weekend just to check it out. And I've been seeing a lot of these bigger artists posting all these fucking big show flyers like Bonnaroo and shit like that. So shit's definitely happening, you know what I mean? Slowly coming out of this fucking COVID cave that we've been in for, you know, over a year now. So it is good to see. Uh, what else we got for music? Shouts to Tim and Swiss. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, whoever whoever you wanted to win won. <laughs> so shouts to them, man. Uh, I also saw, I know we've talked about Travis Barker on here a bunch. I saw that Travis Barker is quote-unquote reimagining Sublime's self-titled album, which was like their biggest album back in, I think it was the late 90s when they released that. It said, Travis Barker is producing a Sublime tribute album to celebrate the 25th anniversary of their self-titled record. The album will feature covers and remixes that reimagine songs from the album. So I thought that was kind of cool. I know we've been, I've been saying to you guys, this Travis Barker's fucking everywhere, dude. He's doing rap shit. He's doing punk shit. He's doing pop shit. Now he's remaking the fucking Sublime album. He's producing. Like, this dude is a fucking mad scientist. So shouts to Travis, man. But I'm going to play, you guys have probably heard Sublime. Um, you've probably seen their t-shirts, even if you've never heard their music. It's like, their logo is infamous nowadays, I feel like. It's like the trippy sun with the mushrooms and crazy stuff in there. But, uh, yeah, they were... The self-titled album was put out in 96. Damn, that's so long ago. I still love Sublime today, man. Um, I'm sure they'd still be making music. Their lead singer, Bradley Noel, passed away, I think, late 90s. Soon after this album came out. Uh, but their most popular songs that you might have heard, Santeria, What I Got, Wrong Way, which are all off that self-titled album, and then Bad Fish, which is another great song off of 40 Ounces to Freedom. But I'm going to play uh, I'm gonna play What I Got just because that's on this self-titled album that Travis and, and company are re- reimagining, I guess. So just to get a little vibe... You know what I'm saying? Shouts to Sublime, shouts to Travis, rest in peace, Bradley Noel. Early in the morning, rising to the street. Light me up that cigarette, I'll strap shoes on my feet. Got to find a reason, reason things went wrong. Get served. 
got the bills I have to pay. I don't get angry when my mom smokes pot. Hits the bottle and goes right to the rock. Fuck it and ride it, it's all the same. Living with Louis Dog's the only way to stay sane. Let the love and let the love and come back to me. sublime you know what i'm saying that shit always brings me back to like high school high school vibes for me you know what i mean but yeah i thought that was pretty dope man shouts to travis again for bringing that album back to life classic album i think a lot of kids nowadays need to hear that shit if they haven't you know what i'm saying but what else do we got for music we got we got some some discussion here so this fucking, uh, this picture was posted, right, of the hip-hop Mount Rushmore of the 2010s. And Mount Rushmore obviously has four heads. So this, the photo that was posted was three heads, and then the fourth was a question mark, and you were basically supposed to vote for who the fourth one would be, right? So the three heads were Drake Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole. And then question mark for the fourth. So we were talking about it with the homies. Uh, we popped around some people. I think we said Big Sean being one of them. Big Crit was another one. Who else did? We had a couple other ones that I can't remember right now. But we had a nice little friendly debate about it. You know what I'm saying? And I jokingly said Freddie Gibbs also. And it's funny because Freddie Gibbs, I didn't really mean it sincerely, but because he kind of got more popular in the later 2010s. It's supposed to mean like who dominated the 2010s, you know what I mean, as far as hip hop goes. Um, I think the final conclusion that we came to was Big Sean, just given, you know, I guess record sales, all around popularity, bars. Uh, I don't know. We didn't really have a criteria, which was kind of uh, why some, you know, why some of the answers weren't quite lining up. But Freddie Gibbs said Nicki Minaj, which I thought was a, a very interesting answer as well. Nicki, you know, I'm not a fucking Nicki fan by any means, but actually, let me not even say that. I am a Nicki fan, but I'm not a Barb. I'm not a diehard Nicki fan, you know what I'm saying? The fucking go crazy, all that shit. But I definitely would not argue with her being that fourth head, you know what I mean? A lot of the homies, like I said, were saying Big Sean, which I didn't argue with either. I'm not necessarily a Sean fan either. Um, for not, not for any particular reason, just not, you know. But at the same time, given the points that they made, which were all valid, like I said, I, I wouldn't argue him being that fourth head. But when they said Nikki, I was like, shit, dude, that's that's kind of a good pick as well, man, you know? 
I guess the only argument against that would be because her and Drake come from the same camp, but you can't hold that against them, like just because the top two people are in the same camp, you know what I'm saying? But let's see. Let's play. Let's show some love to the queen right quick, man. I don't think I've ever played a Nicki song on here. Actually, I know I haven't, but I don't even know what's a good one to play. I'm trying to remember what her her big ones were back in the day, back in the 2010s, you know? So let's go to Pink Friday. When was this released? 2010, perfect. I guess that would be the beginning. What's the next one? The Pink Print, 2014. Let's see what we... Oh, this was... Okay. Let's see what's... I remember Pills and Potions. I remember some of these. We'll play Pills and Potions. Shit is fucking up. We might play only if this shit lets me. Yo. I never fuck Wayne, I never fuck Drake All my life, man, fuck's sake If I did, I'd menage with him And let him eat my ass like a cupcake My man fool, he just ate I don't duck nobody but tape Yeah, that was a setup For a punchline on duct tape Worry about if my butt fake Worry about y'all niggas are straight These girls are my sons John, John and Kate, plus eight When I walk in, sit up straight I don't give a fuck if I was late Dinner with my man on a G5 is my idea of an update Hut, hut one, hut, hut two Big titties, big butt two Fuck, fuck with them real niggas Who don't tell niggas what they up to Had to show bitches where the top is Rang finger where the rock is These hoes couldn't test me Even if their name was Pop Quiz Mad bitches who I fuck with Mad bitches we don't fuck with I don't fuck with them chickens Unless they last name is Cutlet Let it soak in like seasoning and tell them bitches blow me lance even freeze every bottle and cup in the sky sparks in the air like the fourth of july not been here tonight oh if you leave me you know it be quiet i don't know what's happening this shit keeps fucking up if it's the music if it's my internet but my bad. That was only Nicki Minaj featuring Drake, Lil Wayne, and Chris Brown. Cut a little short because of this motherfucking technical difficulties. But yeah, much love to the queen. Um, but yeah, so I guess the final contention was either Nicki Minaj or Big Sean for the fourth head on Mount Rushmore of hip-hop for the 2010s. And then someone else did one for like each decade, but I didn't get a picture of it. I don't remember who was on each one, but... So, yeah, man, shouts to all them. I mean, so I think that was all we had for music, but kind of staying on music at the same time, I just discovered this thing called TCL, the Crew League. I guess it's sponsored by or powered by Revolt. They're basically doing a bunch of rappers and their crews play four-on-four ball against each other, like half-court basketball. And uh, it's pretty entertaining. At least some of them are. I didn't even know about it. I guess they're in season two now. But I went back and watched episode one, season one, which was like sometime last year, I guess. I'm assuming this was a quarantine idea type deal. But it's pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, Episode one, season one was Russ and his crew versus Jack Harlow and his crew. Fucking Battle of the White Boys. (laughs) But, um... 
what I found super interesting was on Russ's team, he had A.J. Rompsa, who played ball at UCF. And he was actually on the team when I was there, when I was at UCF attending as a student. And I used to work at the fucking gymnasium there. And I don't know if I ever mentioned that on here. I used to check this motherfucker in the gym back in the day. <laughs> and here he is on TCL fucking balling it up with Russ, playing against Jack Harlow and his crew. Uh, yeah, I won't spoil, you know, tell you who wins and spoil it or anything, but it was pretty funny, man. Uh, we were watching, what was it, Tyga and his crew versus g Easy and his crew, a bunch of new school rappers like DDG and all these dudes that I'm not too familiar with, but it seems like they got a good amount of people on there. I was wondering if they were going to get, like, you know, Dave East and J. Cole and people who actually balled, Freddie Gibbs. Uh... Speaking of that, I know we mentioned J. Cole went over to play ball in Rwanda. Apparently, his career is already over. I don't have the details on that and what happened or why he dropped out or whatever, but he played a couple games, I guess, over there in Rwanda, and now he's done. But shouts to J. Cole. You know what I'm saying? Shouts to TCL, man. I just check it. It's on YouTube, uh, Revolt's YouTube page. Uh, and I guess just speaking of basketball, man, we're in the NBA playoffs. All right, the fucking playoffs are here, man. Uh, I know the Nets already won game one. I believe the Hawks beat the Sixers. Let's see what the lineups are looking like here. We'll do the game ones. So for game one, currently we have Brooklyn leads 1-0 over the Bucks. The Hawks lead 1-0 over the Sixers. Tomorrow, we have the Nuggets versus the Suns for Game 1. And then Tuesday, we have the Clippers versus the Jazz for Game 1. So that's the current NBA playoff status. Uh, we'll keep tabs on that. I'm personally rooting for the Sixers, obviously, being my hometown. And then also, I'm all root for the Nets, man. You know what I'm saying? And just being up in Brooklyn, you know what I mean? It's dedicated a fucking whole episode to that shit, basically. And they're looking pretty fucking solid. So I definitely have no problem rooting for the Brooklyn Nets. But if they both advance, then they'll have to face each other. So, you know what I mean? We'll see what happens. But shouts out to all the teams involved. Good luck to everybody. You know what I mean? Play, play fucking some good ball out there, man. <laughs> Stay on your toes, B. Also, speaking of sports, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard Naomi Osaka dropped out of the French Open, uh, and her reasoning basically was mental, uh, her mental health, you know what I mean? And ironically, it, it fell at the very end of Mental Health Month, the end of May last last month, but... Um, I think it was a big move by her, you know what I mean? Like, she has all these sponsors, and most people would probably feel basically obligated to play the match, you know what I mean? They advance that far and whatnot, regardless of their mental health. So I think that was very big of her and mature of her to recognize that she's going through whatever she's going through, you know what I mean? Prayers and positivity to her. I'm not sure what the details are behind her making that call, but... She essentially came out and said, you know, I'm going to prioritize my mental health and to do so I can't participate in this tournament. So she dropped out and obviously there was all this backlash, the brands, the tournament itself, like everyone was pissed. They want to see her play. She's the most popular and best young tennis player right now. 
But um, she said, fuck that, you know what I mean? Got to get my mind right. So shouts to Naomi Osaka, man. Hopefully she's doing well. And hopefully, you know, she can get her mental health back in check. Obviously, her as a... You got to think of her as a human first. She's not just an athlete and a puppet to entertain people on TV. You know what I mean? Like, she's a human being. She was going through some issues, so you got to take care of that. You know what I mean? Got to put yourself first. More importantly, your health. You know what I mean? Health is wealth. So, I don't blame her, man. Shouts to Naomi Osaka. But what else do we got over here? I know we got some pretty serious stuff. So let me see what we got here. There was a shooting in Miami. What was this, last week? There just seems to be shootings, like, everywhere, man. I know, like I said, we we're, we don't touch on every one of them because there's so fucking many of them, it's hard to keep track, you know what I mean? But this one's kind of right here in, in our backyard in Florida. This article says two people were killed and up to 25 people wounded in a mass shooting at a concert early Sunday morning in northwest Miami-Dade, officials say. One of those injured is in critical condition, according to police. The shooting started after midnight at a concert at a billiards hall in the 7600 block of northwest 186th Street, an an unincorporated area of the county west of Miami Gardens, Miami-Dade Police Director Alfredo Ramirez said. El Mula Banquet Hall had been rented out for the concert. Some concertgoers were outside when a white Nissan Pathfinder pulled up. Three unidentified people stepped out of the SUV with assault rifles and handguns and began shooting into the crowd. Two people were shot dead at the hall and 20 to 25 others suffered gunshot wounds. We believe this is a targeted act of gun violence, Ramirez said. This is a despicable act of gun violence, a cowardly act. This is the second major shooting in the Miami area over the Memorial Day weekend. Late Friday into Saturday, one person was killed and six others wounded in a drive-by shooting in the Wynwood area of Miami. It is very difficult to stop a small amount of individuals who want to go out there and commit murder. It takes all of us to stop this, Ramirez said. We really have to put the work in this summer and keep our children and community safe. That's just crazy because I know I mentioned on here, like I was in Wynwood when I went down south for that work trip. But yeah, man, uh, prayers, you know, to everyone who was affected by that. They didn't really say a motive. That article was from last week. I haven't really seen an updated one yet. But... um yeah, man, prayers to everybody down in that area who's affected. Miami-Dade County, only a few few hours south of Orlando, here where I'm at. What was this other thing I saw? So we mentioned a couple of episodes back, we mentioned that the the cyber there was a cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline. The hackers had hit the Colonial Pipeline, and it was affecting gas prices and whatnot. Well, I guess now, I think it said they hit the meat industry. And they're fucking up food prices. Let me see what this article says. This is from San Francisco. It says, It can feel abstract. A group of organized but faceless criminals hijacking corporate computer systems and demanding millions of dollars in exchange for their safe return. But the impact of these ransomware attacks is increasingly unavoidably real for everyday people. 
These crimes have resulted in missed chemotherapy appointments and delayed ambulances, lost school days, and transportation problems. A ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline in May led to gas shortages and even dangerous situations caused by panic buying. This last week, hackers compromised the JBS Meat Processing Company, leading to worries about meat shortages and other key food providers being at risk. Last fall, the Baltimore County public school system was hit with ransomware and forced to halt classes for two days, which were being held virtually. As recently as Wednesday, ransomware attacks were causing problems across the country. In Martha's Vineyard, the ferry service transporting people to and from the Massachusetts island said that it had been hit by a ransomware attack that disrupted its ticketing and reservation process. Ferries continued operating all week, but the ticketing system was still affected, causing delays on Friday. The recent spate of high-profile ransomware incidents is exactly what cybersecurity professionals have been warning about for years, but it's partially the impact on everyday people. Far from the executive suites, cybersecurity companies, or government agencies that regularly fret about the criminal enterprise that has made the risk more visible. The ripple effects of ransomware can result in everything from mild inconvenience to people losing their lives, and it's only increased in frequency during the pandemic. It's not only that it's getting worse, but it's the worst possible time for it to happen, said Robert Lee, chief executive of Dragos, an industrial cybersecurity firm. He says, on average, there are likely 20 to 30 big ransomware cases happening behind the scenes in addition to the ones making headlines. Ransomware attacks are not new. The money at stake has changed drastically, however, inflating from thousands to millions of dollars, and the targets are more sophisticated as well. The increasing number of companies connecting their systems and adding more remote access points along with things like the widespread use of Bitcoin, have widened the pool of targets. Cyber criminals, once focused on small companies and individuals, but have made headlines this year for attacks on higher-profile victims. Now you got ransomware affecting whole corporate networks, interrupting critical national function, causing disruption in people's lives. It's really become a national security, public health, and safety threat, said Michael Daniel, president and CEO of the nonprofit group Cyber Threat Alliance. The ransomware industry has grown, but the underlying techniques for gaining access have largely stayed the same. Hackers commonly access company systems through phishing attacks. Phishing spelled P-H. Emails sent to try to trick employees into giving up passwords or access. Once inside the company's system, ransomware outfits will find critical information and lock it down. Then contact a company to demand a ransom for it to be released. These criminals generally work in loosely defined groups sharing tips and resources that make it possible for individual hackers to easily extort multiple targets. Companies occasionally have backup copies of their systems that they can restore rather than pay a ransom. 
but that can result in delays and sometimes hackers make copies of the information they access and threaten to leak private information online if they are not paid. A big data leak could be a huge issue for consumers, not just the companies. There is awful downward spiral of societal harm that happens from ransomware, said Megan Stifel, co-chair of the Ransomware Task Force and an executive director at the Global Cyber Alliance. The Colonial Pipeline attack was one of the many worst-case scenario experts have been warning about and planning for for years. A ransomware attack last month caused the company to shut down its pipeline connecting Texas to New Jersey. Panicked that they wouldn't be able to get enough fuel, drivers swarmed gas stations. Yeah, we read about all this. Um, people's safety has been even more directly threatened by attacks on healthcare systems. Hospitals have been particularly hit hard as far back as 2016 when the Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Hospital paid $17,000 in Bitcoin to a ransomware hacker. Last November, the University of Vermont Medical Center was hit by ransomware and it took nearly a month for it to regain access to its medical records. Chemotherapy patients had their treatments delayed and were sent to other health centers where some had to recreate their medical history. Joshua Corman, the chief strategist for healthcare and COVID on the government cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, COVID Task Force, Jesus Christ, that's a long ass title, has been studying the potential impact for healthcare attacks on mortality rates. For example, if a hospital has to close suddenly, ambulances might take longer to reach people in distress. Minutes can be the difference between life and death for heart attacks, and hour or two can be the difference for a stroke, said Corman. Lee, the head of Dragos, recently worked with a power company that got hit with a ransomware attack but was able to maintain operations. However, attacks like that could easily result in localized power shortages. Attacks on pharmaceutical companies or any of the manufacturers of their pipeline could delay critical medicine like insulin or even vaccines. The increased targeting of industries with the most potential for disruption may be the criminal's business's decision. It feels like these groups realize industrial companies are more ready to pay out and more quick to pay out because if you impact industrial operations, you have to get up and going for safety and community, said Lee. Beyond the physical inconveniences, Ransomware attacks can also hurt public trust in technology and systems and cause people to worry they'll be a victim or panic buy products they think will see a price hike or be in short supply, according to Stifle. Panic after attacks is part of the problem. This past week's attack on JBS, one of the largest meat processing companies in the world, resulted in temporary factory shutdowns. While there were not yet any confirmed meat shortages in the U.S., worried meat suppliers still warned consumers not to buy beef. Not to panic buy beef, my bad. Which could cause otherwise still stable prices to go up. From higher gas prices to canceled surgeries, real-world financial and consumer safety implications of these hacks have spurred the federal government to crack down on ransomware. It's investigating the causes 
working on guidelines and urging corporate America to take cybersecurity protection seriously. We've been warning about this overtly for more than eight years and a lot more quietly for longer. But now that it's manifested, the silver lining is that we're not starting ice cold, said CISA's Corman. So yeah, man, that's just fucking nuts. It does make me somewhat hesitant to like all these websites that are asking for cookies and bullshit. Like, and I feel like I get the emails that they were talking about, the phishing emails. I feel like I do get those at work all the time. It's like it looks pretty legit to being an email from a coworker, but if you look closely, there's always something that's slightly off, and there's a some sketchy link. Like, hey, have you checked this out or whatever? So it's like they're you know they're just trying to get you, they're trying to catch you slipping out here, man. You can't be caught fucking slipping, b. But yeah, it also makes me kind of think or wish that I you know had gone to school for IT or some shit like that. I could be out here fucking, yeah, you know I mean. Holding CEOs up for Bitcoin, son. Yo, run that, B. I got your shit. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I definitely don't condone it, especially when it's impacting hospitals and stuff like that. If they were just holding up, uh, I don't know, some corrupt industries or something like that, then that might be a different story. But it's obviously affecting real people's health and livelihood, you know what I'm saying? So that's obviously fucked up. So, I mean, shit's crazy out here, man. Like, the internet is the new Wild Wild West, the digital Wild Wild West. And now, like we were talking about with Louie, they got all these fucking metaverses and shit. Like, bro, I don't even know what the fuck's going on out here, bro. I don't fucking know, B. But you better guard your passwords. But all right, man. These last two topics are pretty, pretty depressing, um, pretty graphic. But it's, it happened, you know what I mean? So I'm just warning you in advance. You got a trigger warning or something, feel free to skip forward to the end. But uh, I just felt like we needed to talk about these here. The first one, uh, the title of the article is Remains of 215 Children Are Found at British Columbia Residential School. And this is what the article goes on to say. It's broken down in like bullet points. So it says, what happened? A mass grave was found at a residential school in British Columbia that contained the remains of 215 indigenous children. I really don't want to butcher this tribe's name. It's spelled T-K apostrophe E-M-L-U-P-S space T-E space S-E-C-W-E-P-E-M-C, First Nation. So just for to respect the tribe, I'm going to butcher that name. It's said throughout this article, so I'm going to call them T.S. First Nation. T.S. First Nation was working with museum specialists and the coroner's office to establish the causes and timings of the death, which are currently not known. The death of these children and the mass grave were never documented by the school's administrators. Some of the children found were as young as three years old. The children in residential schools were under the quote-unquote care of school staff, the churches, and the federal government, who are all responsible for killing and abusing the children. The landmark Truth and Reconciliation Report released in 2015 called Residential Schools 
quote, a systemic government-sponsored attempt to destroy Aboriginal cultures and languages and to assimilate Aboriginal people so that they no longer existed as distinct peoples, end quote. Residential schools were initially run by Catholic and Protestant churches, but by the 1800s, the federal government fully embraced and funded the residential school system as part of the Indian Act. From 1863 to 1996, over 150,000 children were forcibly removed from their families and placed in these quote-unquote boarding schools. That is seven generations of indigenous people over a course of 150 years. Many children never returned home, and those who did suffered from unimaginable trauma. The explicit intent was to separate these children from their families and cultures in an effort to, quote, kill the Indian in the child. Jesus Christ. In 1920, the Indian Act made attendance at Indian residential schools compulsory for treaty status children between the ages of 7 and 15. The schools were often underfunded and overcrowded. The quality of education was substandard. Children were severely mistreated, degraded, and abused. 90 to 100% of the children suffered severe physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. There was a 40 to 60% mortality rate in residential schools. Um, and they showed a couple tweets from indigenous folks. The Indian Resident School Survivors Society, IRSSS, released a statement and wants to see the federal government and Catholic Church be held responsible for this. So Lucas Brown Eyes on Twitter says, or Twitter or Facebook, I don't know where they got these from. But Lucas says, last week it was discovered that they are forcibly putting IUDs into native kids under 10. This week they discovered 215 bodies of native kids under a school. These are issues that are person to me and so many of us. It's so dangerous just being a native child. Joanne Hammond said, it's not history. I'm 46. My colleagues, my peers, my staff all have family who went to the Kamloops Indian Residential School. It's living trauma, not history. So I guess this is located, this school was located in Kamloops, Canada, British Columbia. And then Don Wilson says, as a son of a residential school survivor, the discovery of 215 children's graves at the TS residential school grounds chilled me to the bones. How many more at other RS grounds elsewhere will be found? I just want to hug every FN person I know. Bannock Hammock, Bannock the Hammock is her title said 1996 that's when the last residential school closed i graduated in 1995 from one of them don't tell me or anyone else that this was a long time ago and then the last one from alicia elliott says it's important when talking about what happened to the 215 indigenous children to remember to use active terms instead of passive ones no quote-unquote children died at residential school that's a rhetorical sleight of hand to avoid responsibility. Teachers and administrators killed them. The government of Canada killed them. 
The church killed them. Don't forget the deliberate actions taken or deliberately not taken which led to these babies, some as young as three, never getting home to their parents, families, and communities. Assign responsibility for those choices. And then I guess the Canadian government actually posted something saying, The news that remains were found at the former Kamloops Residential School breaks my heart. It is a painful reminder of that dark and shameful chapter of our country's history. I am thinking about everyone affected by this distressing news. We are here for you. It's, and then the article says, It's outrageous for the government to call it, quote-unquote, history, considering the lives of indigenous people in Canada continue to be systemically oppressed, discriminated against, and ignored. We are still very much in a dark and shameful chapter of our country's history. There has been no acknowledgement from the Roman Catholic Church or the British Crown. It's just, I mean, obviously, it's disgusting to read shit like this, man. And, it, you know, unfortunately, I try to be, you know, uplifting and have levity and shit on this. But reading stuff like this always kills my mood. So I apologize to the listeners, man. It's crazy how they're still even calling them Indians. You know what I mean? Like, I actually work with this kid who is, his family's native um, from the Oneida tribe, I believe. And him and I have had plenty of discussions. You know, we'll go out and do field work together. And he schools me on all, on all the shit that we're, we as white American or just non-native American people are ignorant to. You know what I mean? I mean, just the term Indian because we falsely classified them. All right, let me not say we. Christopher Columbus and those fucks falsely classified them when they came over and quote-unquote discovered America. You know what I mean? They saw these people were already here and they were dark-skinned, so they assumed they were from India. Started calling them Indians. Um, But, you know, they're fucking not. They're Native Americans. They were here before us. And then, obviously, Canada being part of North America... You know, the tribes extended. I'm sure they covered from fucking the tip of Florida all the way up to the tip of Canada. You know what I'm saying? Before we came over. God, I keep saying we. Before these fucking dicks came over. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, man. Much love to the TS tribe. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to butcher your name. So it was a tribal name and it was also looked like it was in French. So I knew I was going to fuck it up. But much love to them, man. Um, prayers and positivity goes without saying. It's It's got to be rough, man. I mean, like I said, just from talking to my coworker, I know pretty much every social injustice that you see going on with black Americans today, natives are dealing with as well. You know what I'm saying? And it's unfortunate. It's, it's like I said before, it's, it's really fucking disgusting, to be honest with you. And then kind of in that same vein, we have, just last week, we had the 100th anniversary for the Tulsa Massacre. And anniversary is usually a good thing, you know what I mean, to celebrate, but obviously not for this one. This article says, On the centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre, in which a thriving black neighborhood was burned to the ground and hundreds of residents were killed by an angry white mob. Local and national leaders find themselves grappling with the lasting effects of racial injustice and violence. 
in Oklahoma. Prominent public figures will be on hand this week for the grim 100-year anniversary, including President Biden, members of the Congressional Black Caucus, and civil rights advocates. I see Tulsa as a microcosm of things that are happening in other parts of the country, and I see Tulsa having the opportunity to set the example for how, how we get this right. Nicole Austin Hillary, executive director of the U.S. program at Human Rights Watch, told The Hill. The centennial comes just a week after the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder, an event that sparked nationwide Black Lives Matter protests calling for an end to police brutality and systemic racism. The pursuit for racial justice and equity has figured prominently not just in Democrats' legislative agendas in Washington, but among the three remaining survivors of the Tulsa massacre and their descendants as well. I will never forget the violence of the white mob when we left our home. Viola Fletcher, 107 years old, told a House Judiciary Subcommittee on May 19th, I still see black men being shot, black bodies lining the streets. I still smell smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams, she added. Fletcher and her brother, 100 years old, Hughes Van Ellis, are among the last survivors of the massacre along with Lessie Benningfield Randall, 106 years old. In 1921, Greenwood was a bastion of black wealth at the time when Jim Crow laws and the Ku Klux Klan hamstrung and terrorized black Americans in the South. Dubbed Black Wall Street, the northern section of Tulsa was home to dozens of black-owned businesses, including hotels, restaurants, law firms, and medical practices. Despite its prominence, the massacre was little known, if at all, in most parts of the country until the Oklahoma Commission to study the Tulsa race riot of 1921 was created in 1997. Four years later, the panel released a 200-page report detailing how the deadly event unfolded. The seeds of violence were planted on the morning of May 31st when the Tulsa Tribune reported that 19-year-old black shoeshine Dick Rowland had attempted to assault Sarah Page, a 17-year-old white elevator operator in the Drexel building in, a, in the white part of town. The Tribune's over-dramatized account of what happened the story headline read, quote-unquote, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in Elevator, sparked the forming of a lynch mob outside the Tulsa Community Courthouse where Roland was in custody. A group of roughly 25 black men from Greenwood went to the courthouse armed to stop the mob from taking Roland, only to be turned away by authorities. Later, after the white mob continued to grow and a larger group from Greenwood returned, a scuffle broke out, followed by gunfire. Greatly outnumbered, the men from Greenwood returned to their neighborhood. Tulsa police appointed hundreds of white men and boys, quote-unquote, special deputies, even supplying some of them with guns. It's a striking example of how our institutions, particularly policing but not only policing, have played a role over our history in enforcing systemic racism and brutality against black Americans, 
Representative Stephen Horsford from Nevada, second vice chair to the Congressional Black Caucus, told The Hill. By midday on June 1st, martial law had been declared, but Greenwood was already in ruin. The white mob had raised more than 1,200 houses across 35 city blocks, looting hundreds more. The prosperous business district of Greenwood was destroyed. As many as 300 people died, historians say, though the exact number is unknown due to mass grave sites. The destruction displaced about 10,000 Greenwood residents. In total, more than $1.8 million of black property was destroyed, more than $27 million by today's dollar. Jesus Christ. The staggering economic loss was never recovered by black Tulsans and is seen as a key factor in the stark racial wealth disparity in the city a hundred years later. In 1920, black and white residents in Tulsa had nearly identical homeownership rates, Horsford said, citing a report on the massacre released last week by the Joint Economic Committee. Today, white Tulsans are nearly twice as likely to own a home as black Tulsans. So that shows you the direct impact and why we need restorative justice for the families, for the survivors, for the descendants, for the community at large, he added. The median household income for white Tulsans is $55,448, almost double the amount for black Tulsans of $30,463. Restorative justice, also known as reparative justice or reparations, was one of the recommendations of the Oklahoma Commission's 2001 report. Reparations to the historic Greenwood community in real and tangible form would be good public policy and do much to repair the emotional and physical scars of this terrible incident in our shared past, the commission wrote. Steps toward justice, the commission said, could take the form of direct payments to the survivors and their descendants, a scholarship for descendants, economic development in Greenwood, and memorial for the massacre victims. John Hope Franklin Reconciliation Park was opened in 2010 to honor the victims, and a scholarship fund was established. And while economic redevelopment has taken hold in Greenwood, it has largely taken the form of gentrification, and monetary gain for white business owners instead of black Tulsans. Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum has said he doesn't support direct payments to the survivors, but acknowledged in 2019 that the city's quote-unquote racial and economic disparities that still exist today can be traced to the 1921 race massacre. Vanessa Hall Harper who is chairwoman of the Tulsa City Council and represents most of North Tulsa, including Greenwood, told The Hill that the city's efforts were a huge failure and underscored local lawmakers' desire to keep the status quo. Racism, Hall Harper replied simply when asked about Tulsa's inaction. In September, Randall and the other two survivors of the massacre sued the city demanding that Tulsa abate the public nuisance of racial disparities, economic inequalities, insecurity, and trauma their their unlawful actions and omissions caused in 1921 and continued to cause 99 years after the massacre. 
The 100-year anniversary includes events hosted by the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission, which spearheaded the building of Greenwood Rising, a $30 million history museum and center that will fully open in July. Award-winning artist John Legend and rising Democratic star Stacey Abrams were both scheduled to participate in the commission's main event on Monday, but organizers unexpectedly canceled the event on Thursday, citing unexpected circumstances. Many advocates have argued that the Centennial Commission hasn't done enough to raise up the voices of the survivors and their descendants, but Horsford said he doesn't want that to detract from the importance of the weekend. The focus should be on what caused the massacre and those who contributed to it and the systemic reasons for it. I also saw that they finally gave the survivors $300,000. I gave I guess they gave them each $100,000. But I mean at the end of the day, I mean money's great and everything and that's the very least they could do, you know what I'm saying? But like what is that going to change? It's like, you know what I mean? You racist motherfuckers pretty much force these black people to go start their own town somewhere because you wouldn't accept them in your town. And then once they're off and thriving and doing their thing, you couldn't stand to see that either. And you had to fucking burn it to the ground and kill them all. You like These are literally war tactics. You know what I'm saying? If you read Art of War, like one of the biggest parts of war is diminishing your quote-unquote enemy or opposition's population you know what i'm saying women and children um it's it's fucking disgusting man there was a clip of viola fletcher uh speaking to the court i believe what was quoted in the article her saying how she remembers all that stuff i can't seem to find it right now and i really wish i could just to portray her voice you know what i mean kind of solidifies them asking for some sort of compensation for the bullshit that they had to live through, even if it's a fucking hundred years later. It's better late than never, you know what I mean? You gotta you gotta stand up for what you believe in. Actually, matter of fact, shouts to the three survivors for getting up and standing up and standing strong. You know? Much love. It's a little Bob. Lighten the mood a little bit. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, don't give up the fight. Thank you. 
great God will come from the sky Take away everything and make everybody feel high But if you know what life is worth You will look for yours on earth And now when you see the light You stand up for your rights Yeah, man. Once again, much love to all the Tulsa massacre survivors. Luckily, you know, they got up and stood up for the right. And it's it's ridiculous how applicable that song still is to today. He even says, you know, now you see the light, you got to stand up for your right. It's, you know... It's fucking ridiculous. A hundred years has passed. I mean, it's been going on for well longer than that. But, you know, some of our grandparents are almost a hundred years old. Some, you know, this stuff isn't that long ago, man. And like we've been saying with all this shit for the Tulsa massacre and the the TS tribe up in, in British Columbia, this stuff is still going on today. That's why it's so important that we learn about this history because it's not just history, it's current events as well. You know what I mean? Um, it still affects our peers today, whether it, maybe it doesn't affect you directly, you know what I'm saying? Like I was saying with my coworker about, you know, he's a Native American, I'm not, so that stuff doesn't affect me at all, but I was also never taught that shit. You know what I mean? They kind of erased it from public school education for the most part and then same thing with this Tulsa stuff you know what I mean we were never we were never taught about this shit we were taught about basically Martin Luther King they didn't even really mention Malcolm X you know what I mean um but they they whitewash what they want us to learn man so you gotta fucking do your own research because something's gotta change man you know what I'm saying like History repeats itself. I even have a line about that. It goes, Columbine and VT, for those who died, rest in peace. Doesn't matter good or bad. History is on repeat. So unless we change something, what's going to change? You know what I'm saying? But yeah, much love to the three survivors, man. If you aren't aware of all this stuff, please go look it up. Do educate yourself a little bit. And then I guess just while we're here, man... You know, staying on the somber note, unfortunately. Rest in peace and happy belated birthday to Breonna Taylor. June 5th would have been her 28th birthday if she wasn't murdered by police. So much love to the Taylor family. Rest in peace to Breonna. And then last but not least, we just can't, we can't seem to get it right, man. Us human beings are just fucking this world up. So I saw the quick blurb that basically said the northern white rhino had gone extinct, right? So it piqued my interest, and obviously I had to look it up. And that was just some shit I saw on Instagram. This is from phys, like physics, P-H-Y-S dot org. It says, BioRescue creates four new northern white rhino embryos. The International Consortium of Scientists and Conservationists 
working towards preventing the extinction of the northern white rhino through advanced assisted reproduction technologies, is pleased to announce that in March and April 2021, four additional northern white rhino embryos were produced. This is the most successful series of procedures from oocyte collection in Kenya to in vitro fertilization and cryopreservation in Italy. The team of Lebanese Institute for Zoo and Wildlife Research, Safari Park, Dwar Kralov, Kenya Wildlife Service, Ol Pajita Conservancy, and Aventia has ever conducted. Sorry if I butchered those names. Additionally, the, the team confirmed the successful sterilization of the southern white rhino bull, Uwan, which was conducted in December 2020. The bull will now be introduced to the Ulpajita southern white rhino females that have been identified as potential surrogate mothers for future northern white rhino offspring. So it sounds like, I guess, the northern white rhino is functionally extinct in the wild. So the only ones in existence are now in these zoos and in laboratories. You know what I'm saying? Like, we fucking, thank God they're still here for now you know what i mean knock on wood but it's just crazy that it's come to this they've been poached so much for their horns and shit like that out there that we have to we got to bring them in now you got we got to protect them and not only that i think it was uh something about like the male species being so low that's why they have to do all these in vitro pregnancy and shit like that like it's just fucking it's fucking disgusting, dude, what we're doing to this fucking planet and these animals and, you know what I mean, just the natural life around us, including human life. Like, it's just, it's fucking disgusting, man. That's the only word I got for it. It's fucking disgusting. But, yeah, man. Much love to the northern white rhinos. Hopefully they bounce back. You know what I'm saying? Artificially or naturally, I mean... I don't know. We all just need to be living in Jurassic Park, man, if you ask me. Fuck it. Only the strong survive. But yeah, I think this is going to wrap it up. And like I said, I got to do some T.O.P., man, because this shit got me fucked up. One, two, T.O.P., hit!
thank God for that song, man. Thank God for that song. It always makes me feel better. But also, I forgot real quick before we get out of here. I saw an Italian artist auctioned off a quote-unquote invisible sculpture for $18,300. It's made, it's made literally of nothing. It is a work that asks you to activate the power of the imagination, Salvatore Garo said of his sculpture. So he, he sold a fucking quote-unquote sculpture of like air or energy or whatever you want to consider it. So I don't know, man. You just got to think outside the box out here, apparently. People are hacking. People are fucking selling air, selling energy and shit. You know what I mean? The energy market is booming right now from what I could tell. Uh, <laughs> it really is, man. Good energy and bad energy. You know what I mean? You just got to fucking find the balance, man. Find your fucking balance out here. Get you an Indo board. You know what I mean? But yeah, man. This is going to wrap it up. Episode 48 of the K-Podcast. I wish I had more for you. Actually, I don't. I'm fucking sick of talking right now. But uh, you know the fucking vibes, man. Stay safe. Stay smart. Stay sexy. And stay motherfucking tuned. Much love to you guys. Reiterating as always, hit the fucking email. You know what I'm saying? Drop in. Just don't send me some hack and spam emails, some phishing emails, you motherfuckers. <laughs> But, um, yeah, man, I love you guys. Appreciate you listening, and I will see you at episode 49. Your blood clot, boy. Peace. The case you don't have to go home. You just can't stay here, alright?